Welcome back to Ben and Matt's Marvellous Journey. This is a podcast looking at every entry in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I am the Matt half of Ben and Matt. My name is Matt Waters. I'm joined by the Ben half. He's Ben Phillips. Ben, he's having a very fun Sunday. I like, I, I turned 30 on Friday. Woo! And two days afterwards, I'm now in like incredible pain and aches and stuff like that. Yeah. It's like, oh God, I'm officially like old and did, I hate it. Did you think it was a joke that like, you know, you hit 30 and like suddenly your body just starts disintegrating? Oh no, my friend, I can't sit in a fucking chair anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was, it was just like generally like yesterday it started hurting and I was like going out for like a meal with some friends and we're going yeah. back to those for drinks. And then like it hurt in the morning. I was like, I'll take some painkillers for this. And then I got home and I was like, oh no, I'm in agony. I walked on my bad foot for an yeah. entire day and made it worse. You just lose that like elasticity, that bounce back ability when you when you're in your twenties and younger. You you still get shit happen to you, but you just you recover real quick and now it's just like, no no no, you need to take a week off your life. Speaking of recovery, kind of, episode twenty nine is Loki, which uh, you know, we're going to get into it in, in many details from many angles, all the regular segments, but just up top, overall, I think this is the most wholly successful project that Marvel produced in the year of our Lord 2021. I think it is the best top to bottom, consistently quality show they made. I think WandaVision has some very high highs. I know a lot of people are very into WandaVision. WandaVision has a lot of lows. We discussed that two episodes ago. I think Loki is good the whole way through. There is not one episode of Loki where I'm like, this wasn't good television. And like you said to me at the time it was first on, so like June to July of, of 2021, that it was getting better, like literally week after week after week. I wouldn't go quite that far. My my rankings of episodes are available on uh, entertherealworld.com under Marvel Mondays. But there's definitely a sense of forward momentum throughout the whole thing. And while I may have like a sentimental attachment to... Hawkeye, and like a lot of what is happening there, this is a better made television show. I think the difference between this and Hawkeye is that this show feels like it's less reliant on the inherent charisma of the actors at the centre of it. And like there's kind of no fat to this show, which which Hawkeye did have. And mm-hmm. like you watch this and you kinda of come away from it going, The only thing they're setting up is like Loki season two. Spoilers for the end of this show is that it ends with a teaser that this is the only serialized television show that they're doing. Like everything else is inherently a mini series that is designed mm. to serve the movie. Well, I mean, you know, the, the, there's going to be a second season of What If they they have talked about possibly doing more of the ones that are good. I could definitely see a Hawkeye season two existing. They're doing House of Harkness. They they said they they didn't want to do a direct sequel to One Division, but they were like talking ideas around. It's like, well, you can't do a sequel to One Division. The entire premise is was resolved. But this one, yeah, like a straight up Loki will return for season two, and like who knew that writing and producing a television show to be a television show would lead to it being better than the ones that are just like, ah, what if we cut a movie into six chunks? Yeah, I mean, like, you look at WandaVision, it's like, WandaVision, again, the the most successful thing that they started with, it is a good thing they started with it, but, like, by the end, you can feel them going, like, well, we need to put Vision in this particular place so that, like, we can have white Vision on the cusp of things, and we're going to set up Doctor Strange 2, and, like, you're kind of glad they didn't have Doctor Strange show up in the finale, but, like, it always felt like that could happen, and we knew where that was going. Going, how, um, how do we get the good guy and the bad guy to, to fire magical lasers against an ugly background at each other? Like, ugh, ugh, how do we get there? Even down to the things like, I could 100% like, when, when the show finished, 
for one division to to continue on the one division train like you could see them turning around and go oh we're gonna do a darcy and woo spin-off of them like <laughs> solving like various mc crimes obviously sure. the 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 thing they set on was agatha harkness which is even more bizarre mm-hmm. but it's like there's like seven different things you could spring off from in terms of like when you're watching one division in the same way that falcon and winter soldier inherently feels like this is the stopgap between captain america 3 and captain or like end game and captain america 4 Right. Whereas Loki is like, yes, by the end of the show, we meet Jonathan Majors in his MCU debut as a variant of Kang the Conqueror, not explicitly Kang the Conqueror, though, mm-hmm. because he is the, the one above, or he, he who remains. He who remains, yes. Um, <laughs> he is setting something up, but like not in a way where, like, season two of Loki might feature Jonathan Majors as, like, the Kang that we meet in Ant-Man and the Wasp, and maybe that's why Loki season two isn't filming yet or anything like that, but, like, ultimately, like, it was a good, like, Kang fit this show well. Yeah, and there were rumours before he appeared and, and he did the... <laughs> he the company line and was like, no, I haven't done anything, and then there he fucking is. Um, and there will be much talk of him at the end, but I, I think there's plenty to play with, and, like, you know, I think, again, we'll, we'll talk about going forward near at the end, but, yeah, there's plenty to play with, but it's just... I think it's so wholly successful because it's so self-contained. Like, there is some bullshit you need to be aware of that in the first sort of ten minutes of the first episode, like, they're re-showing you a scene from Endgame where, through bullshit reasons, Loki dies in Infinity War, and then a different, you know, a version of him from a different timeline that the Avengers are fucking with gets the Tesseract, teleports away. Oh, that's how we'll have a Loki TV show even though he's dead. Because very weird that coming off the back of those two Avengers movies, it was very unclear what would be happening in the near future. There weren't many big-ticket movies on the slate as definitely coming. It's like, here's Black Widow, but she's dead. Here's Loki, he's dead. Here's some stuff that is very, like off to the side I'm like there's to... still no avengers like five written mm. on a board anywhere i'm trying to remember if we knew that the loki tv show was happening when we watched endgame or if that was like a post um... when endgame happens disney plus is still when did ramped. they announce disney plus is that yeah because yeah, ex- disney plus is coming mandalorian is obviously that christmas in 2019 yeah and then it doesn't make its debut over here until like mid-2020. i, I want to say we knew but obviously after infinity war but Possibly we knew when we watched Endgame, but, you know. (laughs) Well, because that's the thing is, there is very explicitly, like, Loki runs away, and you're like, oh, okay, this is how they salvage, like, Tom Hiddleston. Like, Tom Hiddleston will get to continue in some way. Although it is is interesting that the show kind of explicitly has to go, we understand that after Avengers Loki, we've had, like, three movies of rehabilitation for him. Yes, yeah. And that's the thing. So, like, to be straight up and down with you, I didn't think they should do a Loki TV show. This character is so good in Thor and in Avengers 1. Mixed results in in all of the future appearances. Always a popular character, not always... I think he's good in every one of his appearances. I think every single time Hiddleston showed up, we were having the debate of, are we swapping our vote for this? This is the best Hiddleston movie. There's no way that you can compete with those first two. Oh, no, no, I don't think we can. He's the best part about Thor 2. But it's that Ragnarok appearance for me where he's it's just a little bit like... I mean, they play with it a bit. They're like, oh, are you going to betray me again? Yep, you've betrayed me. Oh, Loki. So it's just kind of like, where do you go with him from here? He had this really nice send-off. He weirdly racked up some of the most appearances in the whole of the MCU. He gets this genuinely nice death, you know, in the, in the first ten minutes of a very, very good movie. And then it's like, yeah, and then we're just going to give Loki a whole TV show. And I was like, I don't know if you should. I think this character's had his run. But I suppose you could tell tales of his adventures throughout history. And then they make clear how they're going to do it. And then by the end of this, 
completely fresh spin on the character almost. I mean, you end up in a very similar place, but like you get there a very different way. And like, yeah, I'm psyched to see more Loki in the future. Like, I have no clue if he's ever going to step back into main movie land. Like, we'll, we'll find out this year, Love and Thunder. Like, will there be a Loki cameo of any sort? Who knows? But there's going to be a t- season two, and he could even be in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Same writer. But yeah, and, and, and that's that's the best part, is for me, like, he's at his best when he is being villainous and, like, a complete little shit. But you can only do so much of that. Like, he's so popular, and it's like, come on, Loki, get on side, be a nice boy. But then that's inarguably slightly more boring and this show lets them have it both ways like you're resetting him to the point he was in Avengers so he's like you start out he's like acid tongued and he's got no time for anyone's shit and he's a complete wanker basically but then he gets to organically make that journey all over again like basically in the first episode but like it really really sinks in over the over for the ones that came after and yeah he just goes on this journey and it's 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 lovely, and, and I feel they earn that like essential crash course reset of uh, Loki moving to the side of good. Yeah, it's it's the ultimate example of like because they've siloed him and are kind of more interested in like we're not we're not going to deal with with outside the MCU bullshit and kind of thing. Like yeah. there are issues in terms of like how they kind of do it. In that I mean, this one feels like the one that's kind of like most reliant on outside context because obviously there is obviously the whole part of like him watching clips of his life and sort yeah. of getting like regaled with like for the dark world clips and and other such things but like they feel like internal character development but they do also have that kind of weakness of marvel which is like well we're done with the infinity stones now like the infinity stones aren't going to be an important thing going forward so like we just need to undercut the infinity stones power like immediately <laughs> like like how do we how do we show that there is a villain more strong than than thanos out there or an entity more strong than thanos out there and it's like well you know the things that killed half the universe they can be completely depowered if, <laughs> if we so wanted them to be yeah it's very reminiscent of like I mean, it's only within the TVA, as far as we can tell, but like all of that comes from Kang, ostensibly, so he must have tech that suppresses their powers. It's it's very like Agatha and the runes with Wanda, but then Wanda finds a way around it, obviously. As I, I've said to you many times, like I think this works because they centre it around five great actors, and they keep it, you know... I want to say they keep it small, like, they go to other planets, they, they break time, they do all of that, but it's always just, let's watch these five people act together. Yeah, the comparison that I have made is this show feels like it's it's Doctor Who, in that it's, like, obviously Doctor Who is a kind of, like, pinnacle part of, or, like, a, a, a fundamental part of, like, UK pop culture, but everyone knows, kind of, like, how Doctor Who's structured, it's, like, each story is in a location and will do a thing and like it feels like they're borrowing from that in particular episode three feels hugely influenced by doctor who like literally like Mm. we're on a planet the planet's gonna blow up you've got a time limit to like kind of escape from this planet but instead of it being like oh how are we gonna do it instead they're kind of like getting into a the like kind of main characters of loki and sylvie but also like we'll meet some fun people on the way and like have like random adventures with them and all the rest on a wacky train and (laughs) yeah exactly like it, it feels very much like that and obviously it is a structure that works incredibly well for television Mm. and it's smart of them to do that yeah. um, and but again as you, like they're keeping it to this kind of like corset characters but also like when we get to the end of it we're not sat there going like like we were with Hawkeye where it's like well here's Echo we've met Echo now and then Echo's getting a spin-off series like we're not sat there waiting yeah. to see the Hunter B15 series like <laughs> all of all of the character development in this show is is self-contained to the show and going to progress into a second season of the show mm. rather than oh well this plot strain that we haven't seen the end of is going to be done in a spin-off 
yeah. that kind of like takes the wind out of the sails of like the self-containment series that you've done so far. And and again, yeah, that is that is the strength is that like we've cast these charismatic actors who've got chemistry with each other, who all play off each other in different ways, and we can literally put them in different combinations, yep. and they're all going to play each off each other in like really interesting ways. I think the one who gets short short shifted on that in terms of just her overall interaction with the cast of of as a whole is Gugu Mbatha Raw. Mm. Mostly because mostly because she, like she only really gets to interact with Owen and it's just like we don't get to see much of her with Loki or with Sylvie or with, with Hunter B fifteen really. No, but like when you do it's good. <laughs> yeah no that's the thing and it's just like I kinda wish the show functioned a way that they could put her more in the action, but I understand why they haven't is because she has to be set up as like a the villainous figure for going forward. And like again it's well cast. I love Gugu she's fantastic I'm glad to see something that's going to use her well I again would like to bring back Doctor Who I remember when she was Martha's sister on Doctor Who for four episodes in one season and now she's like I mean she's never had that project that she's like truly broken out of and like whenever she does have something it always feels like it's kind of placed somewhere else like I love Beyond the Lights the Gina Prince Bythewood movie from a cut of like 2014 where she is mm. absolutely fantastic in she obviously had the morning show a few years ago but Loki feels like this could be something yeah I think so but isn't isn't quite there yet in comparison to kind of this is Tom Hiddleston's big lead vehicle or, uh, yeah obviously this is this is Sophia DiMartino's kind of like big coming out party I feel in terms of like a showcase for her skills and when it was announced everyone was kind of like oh wow it was nice to see Owen Wilson kind of like aging gracefully <laughs> Yeah, and like, I, it's inescapable that, like, if you look at the slate of TV shows they announced first, and arguably still to this day, Loki's the biggest character to get one of these, or the biggest of the actors who they convinced to come and do some television. Because, you know, like, Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany and even Anthony Mackie, they are not on his level, in my opinion. Their characters are not historically as popular as his is and like Hawkeye like you know Jeremy Renner's in theory a big name Hawkeye's in theory a core Avenger but just has never been universally praised whereas Loki is like the internet's wet dream so to like give him a project so oh cool and then like you have Hiddleston at the center of it and he is just so so experienced with the Marvel Disney machine like he understands the bullshit that's happening here and he is able to I think anchor it for the others who are you know who are newcomers to this and I think he he really helps them I think Owen Wilson in particular like it was so important those two had chemistry because you could see a world where Owen Wilson looks lost in this damn thing and some of the like behind the scenes footage of them talking he's just like clearly doesn't know what's going on but like <laughs> when they are sitting opposite each other from a table they have so much chemistry and I think Loki is able I think Hiddleston is able to like ground them and keep you know help them like hold their hand through some of the like the wacky shit which he's entirely game for because he's done it so much yeah I wonder how much of that is like it feels like I mean, not that all of these actors are like hardcore like we're legit actors because obviously Gugu's done her own fair share of big budget sci-fi stuff like Cloverfield Paradox and she's in like Beat the Beast and stuff like that like she's been around the block in terms of like what these kind of movies in terms of like Sofia DiMartino and Owen Wilson in particular are like they've done these kind of movies but or like not obviously not Sofia but this is probably their first time being introduced to this kind of like modern kind of like it's going to chew you up and spit you out machinery of like franchise filmmaking yeah. and I, I think it's so important to have him there to help them and like that his roots are in like oh I'm a I am a legit actor it's just I happen to be good at this as well you know this is a show that's fundamentally at its best when people are just sitting down and talking to each other the few action scenes that there are they are so much more meaningful because 
really give a shit about the five, six people involved. Like, I think we need to talk about the finale a lot later, but like, you look at the WandaVision finale, which is all of Marvel's worst habits coming to the fore, basically putting aside all the clever, fun stuff they did in the previous eight episodes and going, right, here's some generic Marvel bullshit. And Loki says, nope, fuck you. We're just going to have a, like, 45-minute conversation, and they cross swords for, like, what, 60 seconds? And they are just sort of throwing balls of green light at each other, but it's so much more meaningful (laughs) because they put that work in. And, like, so much of it hinges on Loki and Mobius are just going to sit there and chat and, like, trade witticisms and everything. Yeah, I mean, when I was watching it this time, I kind of was clocking that they would kind of do a thing of, like, almost two episodes on one episode off kind of like like they will we'll do our big special effects showcase mm. but then we'll also like know to recenter you with a more intimate episode next and yeah. so like you have episode one is this huge info dump essentially like you need to learn what the tva is you need to be comfortable in this world we're going to use loki as our kind of like surrogate characters to to introduce you to this world where everyone else is just kind of like yeah we do time travel and race timelines can i just say like that is such a specifically laser guided point to the part of my brain this kind of shit tickles me like this sort of taking something incredibly fantastical supernatural weird and warping it into a sort of anachronistic 60s 70s style american office which is all oranges and browns and motivational posters and pneumatic tubes and shitty green tinted yeah computers like it's portal to no. all the Pete Doctor Pixar movies are this kind of thing where it's yeah. like Monsters Inc. Inside Out and Soul are yeah. all like what if we took an incredibly like abstract concept like the monster under your bed or yeah. your emotions or the afterlife and made into a bureaucracy in which people are doing it as a day job yeah like, I just love seeing these people bored as shit of insane stuff and like you know you arguably see it in like John Wick 2 when they reveal how all the operators and the contracts work and it's like this is not what this should look like and even even like the video game control like has a bit of this where they're like they're just taking this weird shit and and putting it into this setting that shouldn't work but it does and i think the tba in general it's such a reliable tool to use these recyclable sets like they have all these powers they are sort of like a faceless entity but also like we have a few key faces to put on them. I think that's a really great element to put in there because like, so much of Marvel comes down to, oh, who's the villain, who's the villain, you know, who's the big fight? And a lot of them don't go that well. And again, to cannibalise from the end of the, of the show, like, who is the villain in this show? Is it the TVA? Kind of, but like <laughs> two of the three major people we know from it are actually nice. So It's so fascinating to watch it just in terms of like a, you can see the ways in which they're saving money in terms of like, well, we built the TVA set and there's the kind of like the, the three or four sets, like the big room in which they hold people and do the like flipping through time mm-hmm. interrogation scenes. There's the library, there's Renslayer's like office. And yeah. it's kind of like almost all the scenes in the TVA are kind of going to be in like one of these like few locations essentially. Yeah. But you never really get bored of it, though. No, no, because they they know to shake it up enough. There's enough going on on the outskirts of it. But, like, you can see, like, we just built kind of, like, four or five sets that are going to be the bulk of time for the show. And then every so often, as as they're going through, they'll go, like, right, and now episode three is fully on an alien planet. And now episode five is fully at the end of time. And it's going to be, like, a giant CGI monster. We'll use what we saved up in the money to kind of, like, do these big blow-up moments. But you're not doing the kind of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier thing where, like, well, we need to do, we need to make the world look like we're doing an international, like, right. globe popping thing. Like, we need to go to Asia, we need to go to Germany, we need to go to these places. But in reality, we're filming it on Atlanta backlots and a green yeah. screen. And, like, Loki is also filmed in Atlanta, but, like, 
we say all the time, none of it feels like a place. And like, I understand, you know, I don't understand the geography of the TVA building. That's one of the jokes. These elevator buttons don't make any fucking sense. But in theory, I understand the geography of the TVA building and it feels like it makes it all feel more intimate. It's Firefly is the classic example. Like you feel you understand Serenity as a ship. In reality, they're skimping on CGI budget by not having all these elaborate space battles and it's just a generic TV set that they're telling you is a, is a spaceship. But it works! And the same thing is true here, where, like, as you say, they're, they're saving money by just, like, yeah, here's four TVA locations, but, like, I'm having a nice time in them. <laughs> and it makes it all feel more authentic. Yeah, it has that Serenity vibe in terms of we've made it enough and there's enough diversity in the locations, enough diversity in terms of, like, who we can put characters up against with each other. Mm. And, like, yes, it loses some of the sense of, like, the tactility of the Firefly set in terms of, like, you, it is generic yeah. corridors and stuff like that. But it fundamentally does mean that, like, when the quieter moments are happening, there is, like, a ease of, like, viewability to them. It's similar to what the TARDIS does in Doctor Who, sure. in terms of, like, it centres you in terms of, like, this feels safe, this feels like I understand what's going to go on in this location. Right. And, and I think a lot of it comes from... So we should get into this. Like, Kate Heron is the director of every episode. I think she used her own experience working in frustrating, boring British office jobs to inform some of the TVA. You know, she did a lot of short films. She did one episode of Daybreak, but most importantly, she did the entire back half of season one of Sex Education, which, from memory, is probably the best stretch of the show to date. She's very good at what she does. I think this is easily the best directed show. She has a kind of creative hand on all of it at all times, in a good way, not in an overly controlling way. Like, I think she is helping keep it cohesive and, and keeping the tone throughout. You have Michael Waldron writing it, who is, you know, a Dan Harmon acolyte, community, Rick and Morty. He is the solo writer of Doctor Strange, The Multiverse of Madness, and coincidentally or not, Dan Harmon tried to contribute some material to Doctor Strange 1. But also, this is this is the only one of the shows which has, like, a writer's room. Is Yes, I believe like, so, yeah. Like, because every, every other one, like, maybe, maybe there is a writer's room, but, like, every other show that we've watched so far has had, like, one person credited as writing every episode. I think that's, that is coming from shows like Community and Rick and Morty, where it is all very collaborative, and most notably, Abisha K. Ali, who is going to be the lead writer of Miss Marvel, and another sex education alumni, wrote the Lamentous episode. So there's a good diversity to the room, I think, and it's just very well written and very well directed like it's airtight almost again, again it's it's that thing where it's like it's doing a lot of the things that tv does as well and it feels like maybe they were coming into these original kind of like shows and going like we have a movie machine set up let's make them like a movie it's one director or two directors however you want to kind of break it down but the scripts will be written as like a chunk and we'll just break it up in terms of what the episodes need to be whereas it feels like they were breaking these episodes as like a beginning middle and end and it's like episode one is the episode where we like find out about how things work episode two is the episode where like we are going to find out the identity of this variant loki by the end of the episode and that's kind of like what the entire mystery of episode two is episode three is loki and sylvie spending time together episode four is kind of concluding the initial arc of the show in terms of like who are the timekeepers and we'll get some more character stuff five is just the big action set piece but it's doing it in that traditional tv way of the penultimate episode is the big similar to the wire or game of thrones where it's like the the penultimate episode is where you have the set pieces and then that gives completely clears the board for you to do in your finale the more introspective character dynamics the yeah. more epilogue stuff the more setting up of the of where the show goes from here this is a tv show this is a tv as tv show that you are putting out weekly and it makes it 
so much better. You're, you're touching on something else that I think is one of the biggest strengths. It resists something that some TV shows fall into. It doesn't want to be a mystery box show. Every episode, they kind of dispense with whatever the status quo was before. Like, you, you kind of listed it off there. Like, you know, we presented a premise of there's a variant Loki out there that we've got to catch. And, like, you know, nerds speculate away and, you know, there's rumours Sophia DiMartino is playing Lady Loki and then it's like, you show her at, at the end of episode two and it's like, oh, she's using powers that are kind of more like the Enchantress and she's blonde and then they're like, nah, fuck all that. She, she's Sylvie and, you know, she shifts over to become not the villain but the secondary protagonist. She's not who you thought she was. The TVA aren't what you thought they were. The timekeepers aren't what you thought they were. Like, they keep just saying, no, it doesn't matter. The heart of this is the emotional journey of Loki and, like, we are not going to just string you along with with mysteries that won't get answered and none of that is actually what's important. You know, there obviously is, like, a there is someone in the High Castle at the end of time kind of thing. But even that is just, like, cool, and now you get to choose what happens. That never gets as bad as is it Mephisto behind everything in WandaVision? Exactly, yeah. Like, yeah. like the, the, there's enough stuff going on in each episode and enough questions going from what the previous status quo was that yeah. no one is sat there trying to figure out who it is. And, like, there were rumblings that Jonathan Majors was in this show. Yeah. But, like, there was also, like, people speculating it's Loki himself, it's Richard E. Grant. He's going to have tricked them all and he's behind it after all. And, yeah, and you know, there is that obvious Wizard of Oz parallel with, you know, the, the man behind the curtain. So, you know, we, we've talked the plot in very loose detail, so let's... Because it, 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 there's not too much to the plot, really. It no. is just Loki and Sylvie bond and basically trying to find out who is behind the TVA. The juice is coming from what they're doing, how it looks, like what Kate Heron's doing, what the kind of, like, what the plot of the episode is. And it's, again, it's it's a TV show. Like, <laughs> I, I, we're not discussing it like a movie. I'm not going to come in here and go, like, when you were watching Falcon Winter Soldier, you're like, okay, this is, like, literally the end of Act 2. Like, we're now heading into, like, <laughs> the episode 5 and 6 are flipped in Falcon Winter Soldier, and it's so much less interesting yeah. when episode six is your big all-out like kind of finale and episode five is your introspective like fun character dynamic stuff and it's like yeah. you did this too early and now mm. your finale is having to shoulder so much weight in terms of concluding everything to bring it back even for even more like you know we assume you will watch these things when you're listening to these but you know like yeah loki escapes with the tesseract at the beginning the time variance authority come and take him because this is not how time is supposed to have gone they police time they make sure that things don't go against the one chosen timeline there are variants Loki's from different realities. Anyone can have a variant, and variants become the big part of all of it, and variants are apparently going to be a big thing going forward. They're trying to catch this variant. Loki falls in love with himself as Sylvie, (laughs) which is just... And they eventually are like, right, let's break this whole system, find out who is behind it all, and we'll talk about that later. But, like, while the TVA and the Timekeepers, and even He Who Remains, they are all in Thor comics... I would say, to move us over to Comic Book Corner, you know, in terms of tone, you are very much looking at Journey into Mystery, a little bit of Young Avengers, there's the nod to kid, uh, to Boat Loki, but it, it does seem primarily we're talking Journey it's, into Mystery. Yeah, it's Journey into Mystery and it's Al Ewing's like immediate follow-up kind of Loki story, Agent mm-hmm. of Asgard. Yeah. Like, but, it, it is kind of what they're pulling from, and then there's obviously some references to some more modern stuff, like President Loki shows up. Yeah. later on which is a more recent story but that's, like that's not very good don't read it <laughs> <laughs> I wanted it to be I read like literally you told me the exact point in Journey into Mystery or Thor or whatever to pick up from and I read it all straight in a row I, re- I reread all of Young Avengers I, I read 
the Ewing run, I read Agent Asgard, I read everything, including like Loki. <laughs> I'm just like, why isn't there more Loki to read? Well, that's the because that's the thing is because like I mean, so so for the context around here is Loki has always been a character that has hung around the periphery of Thor, never really getting like being a solo character, and it definitely feels like when Loki was announced that he was going to do double duty in Thor and in the Avengers as the villain, there was like a push from Marvel to go like, right, we need to come up with what our new angle on on Loki is, and they definitely started having like well we're going to have like solo loki books like loki is going to become like a focal point of of the universe and stuff like that and they've never quite adapted what the feel of those like this is the closest they've got to adapting the feel of those is but like it felt like the entire arc of those was literally loki's a good guy in journey into mystery like from the start and obviously there's tension around people not believing that he's a good guy because it's loki and loki (laughs) will is the harbinger of ragnarok it's interesting they've got this playing up against villain loki in avengers and thor and then the arc in the movies becomes well we're going to rehabilitate loki and now make him to a good guy you see him starting to be drawn more like tom hiddleston even young loki it, it kind of looks like you sort of de-aged tom hiddleston a bit and it carries on as he ages back up and everything and kid loki phenomenally popular character from the comics an impossible task to to cast in live action the kid they found did his best but like most child actors aren't very good and this is a herculean task that he just wasn't up to but in theory he could be a young avenger i don't know yeah like he is he is my like like, the journey to mystery run by kieran gillen is like one of my probably top 10 comic runs of all time it is sandman light because it's a comic book like you can do that precocious thing if you did it in live action you basically cast young sheldon as loki is kind of like the only functional way you could do it and I yeah. don't think it would be particularly good. Obviously Jack Veal plays Kid Loki, isn't he? Who is yeah. the young young James on like the end of the fucking world. But like sure. you'd probably want to go someone who's in their early twenties if you want to do the right feel for young Loki. Someone who's got a bit more like wherewithal. He's just them. he's just like impossibly witty in a way that like a child actor is not capable of portraying. Like they can yeah. only be cute, basically. <laughs> I think Loki is probably the most fascinating example of the symbiotic relationship between Marvel Comics and Marvel movies. You have things like we've made Nick Fury into a black person in the main mainstream Marvel universe mm. off the back of the fact that obviously Samuel L. Jackson was the basis for Nick Fury in the Ultimate Marvel movies and then they actually got Nick Fury so then people thought that's what Nick Fury was going to look like so they had to make Nick Fury black in the comic books. And it's just, Nick Fury Jr. but... Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know but, like, but like Loki is like, it felt like there was this conversation going on behind Tom Hiddleston's betrayal and yeah, what's going yeah, on yeah. the series in ways that like it took them a decade to get to Jeremy Renner having a conversation between what Hawkeye had become in the comics and what yeah. meant in the movies. Like, And obviously that's a conversation for, for when Hawkeye happens. But it's just it, that interesting where like they're both trying to hit the same angle and like as you have like Thor become more comedic, there's less room for Loki, but Loki's still trying to do this like anti-hero type thing people like yeah. and and this this show is kind of like trying to tie together all of that where it's like it, it very obviously and it feels like this is the one that is kind of most interested in having little bits of the comic books right down to that episode five where it's like not everything is a reference but like episode five of loki is probably the <laughs> most out there where they're going like we are going to just full-on embrace the comic books his throg. Yeah, his, yeah, his throg. Here is Loki in like the classic shitty costume from like the early, the early Thor, early Avengers run. They Here keep doing the... it. They did it in One Division uh, on Halloween. That like you know, here's the classic costume. Hawkeye has Kate like sketch the classic Hawkeye costume. Yeah, you have Richard E. Grant here in the the so campy, it's ridiculous, <laughs> bright green, bright yellow spandex ensemble. 
Yeah. Alligator Loki is not a reference to something in the comics, I don't think. I don't think so. I don't think boastful Loki is either. Um, no, but, but like Kid Loki is, is very obviously riffing on yeah, yeah, on yeah. Like, on Journey to Mystery, and I would be fascinated to see like what point did he kill Thor? Are they saying that he killed Thor in a <laughs> literally um, fear itself thing where he wrote into the story that Thor is killed by the serpent? Like, Is yeah. that what they're going for? Maybe, maybe. Uh, way too nerdy comic shit for a comic book. <laughs> um, but yeah, like Loki, Loki is a fascinating journey with what it means to be a comic book in comparison to the MCU just because both of them were kind of coming up in popularity at the same time and they've never done a full adaptation but they are constantly borrowing from each other which makes it really interesting and you could run any, you could read any Loki comic from the last mm-hmm. 10 years and feel comfortable because it will share enough DNA with what the MCU is yeah. and I think it probably is the cleanest of any character they've done, like, apart from Vision and Matt, Fic- uh, Matt Fraction's Hawkeye run, that's, the they're both so short though. Like there's yeah. like, there is a good decent run of Loki books that are, you know, as I said, I read them all last year. Fantastic, couldn't recommend enough. But stop at vote Loki. I mean, it's, it's four issues. It's not going to kill you, but yeah, that's because it obviously stops right when Secret Wars happens. Yes. Um, oh god, yeah, it's so awkward because like every book has to stop. And Loki literally just sort of like ends on a cliffhanger, and then they—it's the only one that goes straight back to exactly how it was afterwards. Everything else is reset and changed in some way. And he's like, "Anyway, uh, <laughs> this conversation I was about to have." And so that kind of leads us on to the other kind of like the three points that this show is doing from the comic books, which is Kang, Ravona, and the TVA. Yeah, because <laughs> like because everything else is original. Like everything else that they are pulling from this show is an original creation. Like Hunter B fifteen is based on nothing. Mm-hmm. Miss Minutes is based on nothing, Mobius is based on nothing No, no there's a Mobius Is there a Mobius? There's a Mobius and Mobius for sure He's not big by any means but uh, Null times, oh okay, not from an issue of Fantastic Four Yeah, yeah. oh it's, it's, it's niche shit for sure but like it, it did exist They're pulling from like the most obscure corners of the thing where, but yeah, yeah and like Sylvia's, they've done Sylvia's like such a mashup of various like it's part Lady Loki, it's part Enchantress, it's part like a different form of Enchantress that was like Oh god, was it like Loki made her into Enchantress? She was just like a normal girl, and then Loki fucked around and made her Enchantress? I don't know. The two naughtiest ones are obviously Sylvie and Kang, in terms of like what they're pulling from. And, I mean, so, do we do Kang now? Yeah, like, Kang is... Just so complicated, but in short, so I, it's I, just I, like I, I was, a, a Thanos Doom level of villain that is yeah, ostensibly so going to be the big guy going forward. Yeah, I was thinking of this, and it's like, who are the kind of the big villains that they've not done yet? Because we've done Thanos, we've yeah. done Ultron, like Loki. Let's, <laughs> Loki. Kind of. Let's let's say let's say that Doom and Magneto are like an entirely different thing, where like they're so they become cosmic level or like they become Avengers level, but they so thoroughly are tied to the X Men and to the Fantastic Four that it's kind of hard to separate them Mm. and it's like galactus kang annihilus and the beyonder are like all of them awful to to explain but kang (laughs) Kang the most kang is insanity (laughs) kang is also known as iron lad ramatut and immortus yes he was an egyptian pharaoh he's a pharaoh who's also nathaniel richards yes he is he is the like great great grandson of reed richards (laughs) discovered time travel went back in time and became a pharaoh yeah and then and then a a young version of himself is like oh i've got to stop me goes back in time to become a young Avenger. Didn't Immortus do so... Isn't he tied into, like, the grossly offensive Captain Marvel business that happened? The the pregnancy bit? Yes. Possibly. That, that, basically, like... 
Kang is probably the hardest Marvel character to describe in any way, shape, or form. But they've nailed it by making it so simple. He's a weird fucking future dude with crazy tech. Done. And there are many versions of him from many timelines, so they can just present whatever version they want. They can go yeah. really deep. Like, sometimes he's fucking blue. Yeah, so like, so He Who Remains feels like a kind of riff on Immortus. Sure. He's the closest of the actual, like, canonical ones. Yeah. But they very explicitly give him a different name. Like, like they're, they're very much like they do not call him Kang Kang. As a word, nope. is not referenced at all in this. It feels like they are basically going like, and and it's where we get into. We'll do Major's chat now. As I mean, well. to be honest, if not for the fact that we know he has explicitly been cast as Kang in Fantastic, Four, like if this guy just shows up and there's no word on like future plans, future castings, Kang is coming. They do at times draw like when he he's got his little device that makes little projections little 3d images um for them to look at and at times there he is drawn like kang but otherwise you wouldn't necessarily know this is supposed to be a riff on kang yeah you would just think like oh wow marvel have got jonathan majors in to do to do this like he's obviously like a huge up-and-coming actor who like really popped in last black man in san francisco which is a really good movie that i would recommend people checking out i had him on like my supporting actor ballot for that year he was starring in Lovecraft Country, the HBO series that like got cancelled after one season that I know people had issues with, but was also like... I heard he's very good in it, though. He's, he's very good. He's fantastic in Five Bloods. He's gotten himself absolutely fucking swole for Creed 3, which... Yep. Yep, I'll watch that. <laughs> yep. And then he's also had like the Hardly Fall on Netflix last year, which was another one that had like that insane cast. That's gonna live on my like to watch list forever. I just know it. You can't let Jerome hear that. He loves that movie. I want to watch it. It looks fucking dope. I just can't make myself. I don't know why. It's a mental block. He's gonna be in Ant Man of the Wasp: Quantumania, which a fascinating <laughs> movie in terms of just like what Ant Man's position in the MCU is at this point. Historically, um, the lowest grossing of the mini franchises, and you're going to pin enormous ongoing ramifications and possibly the debut of the Fantastic Four <laughs> to its, yeah. its second sequel. Brave. It's, it's fascinating <laughs> to think in terms of like, maybe this is their way of getting people to go watch these movies. Maybe. Because obviously they're comedy movies through and through and they don't perform well internationally. But if you basically say like, this one's important, we know you didn't believe us when... <laughs> It was the first movie that came out after after Infinity War, but, like, this one's fucking important. I mean, you've got to show, like, the silhouettes of the Fantastic Four in a trailer or something like that. It'd be really nice if Peyton Reed did get to debut the Fantastic Four. Like, yeah. just, just for the history there for him. Yeah. But that would probably make me more sad that John Watts is directing Fantastic Four, ultimately. Um, um, but yeah, yeah but Majors yeah. comes in and fucking bowls us all over with this... He just gets to do a monologue for like half an hour, and he's yeah. so compelling. Like, from the yeah. moment he shows up, and he's like munching on that apple, and he's just so good. And like, I know we haven't delved into the rest of the cast, I think everyone else is like really fucking good. But yeah. like, it's, it's crazy that you've been watching. We've been watching Tom Hiddleston for ten years play this role, and he is still probably the most wholly successful villain in the entirety of this thing just in terms of like his longevity yeah. they've managed to like rehabilitate him if we, even if we say that like, Thanos had like such a like had such high expectations and they managed to blow it out of the water with Infinity War Loki is kind of probably the great character achievement for the villains yeah I mean it it's a two-movie run for Thanos. Thanos is, for as impressive as the CGI is, he is a giant purple man who does a lot of fighting. He is introspective, but like Loki is just like a guy and is such a successful piece of villain writing yeah. over and over and over again. 
and kind of made Tom Hiddleston into he isn't that guy now who is like does like random Joanna Hogg movies. He is a bankable movie star, bankable TV star. He can lead projects. He can do your little indie drama and stuff like that. And then to also have like Sofia Dimbartino, who is a incredibly charismatic person who manages to come in and basically steal scenes from mm-hmm. Hiddleston over the course of the show to have both of them then completely smoked out the water by majors. <laughs> it's is... insane. They're just having to sit there silently while he just puts on a fucking show. Like he's basically like a little chaos goblin almost. <laughs> it's like he's giggling to himself and hopping up on the table and doing funny voices and saying like talking and like you're welcome and and stuff like that but then he grounds it with so much quiet melancholy like when he says everything burns and he's just sort of half smiling and it's like i fucking believe him and i think that's why both sides of it work like we have seen just big gravitas grim villain and we have seen sort of like oh look how quirky i am kind of characters but to give you both and to make them both work and feel right and natural <laughs> and just his tone his intonation is, is just all over the place and it's all it's fascinating and I, I watched it again last night and it's just like he's hypnotic i think it's it's a huge boon to marvel's casting department almost every single one of their like major casting decisions this last year has been impeccable in terms of like who they are resting the future of the mcu on maybe we'll like sideline the movies for now but like if you kind of look at and obviously, like, the, the, the big one is the one that we're going to talk about next week in terms of, like, you got this person at the exact right moment yeah. in terms of, like, <laughs> where her career is and yeah. what she's going to be doing for the future. But it's like, you look at... They've always nailed casting. Like... They've always nailed casting, but I feel like this this is kind of, like, another level of it, where it's like, you got Majors, you got Pew, yeah. and you Steinfeld. got Steinfeld. Yeah. yeah, they're, like, loading up for the future. Like, they had their big set of stars early on, and they, they sort of padded that out as they went but all those people are getting old all those people have been in a lot of stuff they have started to stack a deck of young actors who they can i don't like saying it in these terms because it's grim but like you can lock them down for a decade and you're fucking good <laughs> like, but yeah, yeah it's like it, it's crazy to think like i think those are the three performances like even more so than simu lu in in shang chi or anyone that they got for eternals mm-hmm. like the ones that are making people like buzzy and like excited are those three and it's just because like they've got them at the i I think steinfeld's like a slightly weird point of point where she's like she isn't a movie star right now yeah she's almost past the tipping point of where that decision has to be made there is some evidence in her favor but probably not quite enough of it so it's like it's still a get but it marvel may up end up being the biggest thing she does yeah that's the thing it's obviously she had that like oscar win or the sorry the oscar nomination for true grip but then she kind of spent 10 years bumming around and she's got like great performances in there like edge of 17 she's Mm -hmm. like really charismatic in bumblebee and spider-verse so good in bumblebee uh, and obviously (laughs) dickinson but like hawkeye feels like it's a jolt in the arm for like people being like excited about yeah, again, and Majors is kind of like Majors and P were the ones that are like the complete opposite of that, where it's like they are coming off of runs of things where like people are excited to see what these guys do next. Like yeah. they can do TV, they can do movies. People are coming out of Last Black Man in San Francisco, going like this guy is a star. Like this guy is going to do some insane things. He's just so good. We've been talking for quite a while. I feel like there's still so much to say, but like he's surely the lock for the all Marvel list. Like Tom Hiddleston's already on the list. He's been on it twice. I think he's probably... I mean, he's got the benefit of having six episodes to work with. I think he's probably better here than he is in The Avengers. But, uh, you know, if you don't want to go that way, that's fine. But there's still plenty in his... What he's showing here to be like, oh, I'm 
you know, I'm far from done with this character. Yeah, I think I would say in terms of overall range, this is probably his best performance. I do think there is something so singularly good about, like, I think it is, and and sorry to bring up an awful person right now, I think Joss Whedon knows how to write a Loki. The the core (laughs) difference is that, like, Joss Whedon is such a good writer of this Mm. very particular kind of, like, slimy villain. Takes an asshole to write an asshole. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, exactly. Should we run through kind of, like, because I think everyone in this show is kind of like in contention in some ways like like yeah. we could even put an argument in for richard e grant so let, like let's do this now as our chance to like talk the characters through sure. and just say like kind of like we can bash this off and then basically reconfirm that john for majors is our like confirmed pick for this one yeah at the very least and then there's the discussion around the bonus pick that we didn't use last time yeah yeah so where do you want to start like hilson is great like, hilson's fantastic like uh, again to put him back in the space he's in in avengers one where he's just telling everybody he needs to fuck off Laid low by the TVA, humbled by them with their technology. Like, he's, he is a clown in the show. He is the villain. He is the hero. He's a sad little boy. He's everything. And and to see him go through that journey to, like, come out, essentially, in episode three, to have his first ever best friend in Mobius, to have his first proper love interest in Sylvie, to come to that point at the end where he is thoroughly just trying to do the right thing for the first time in his entire life and it blows up in his fucking face and that thing of like you can't trust and i can't be trusted it's just heartbreaking and to see him like try to think his way out of this insane predicament and he's, he's trying to double cross them all along and then like pride coming into play and like look i can prove how you hide from an apocalypse and look magic is great i can dry my fucking clothes and seeing all the people body sw- when sylvia's body swapping kind of thing in in, in rock's cart I think the cast said they basically were all just doing impressions of Tom Hiddleston based on sharing screen time with him and everything, so that's nice. When he's on his knees in front of Sif, heartbreaking moment. I love that scene, I love that episode. That's my favourite episode, is episode four. There is so much going on here. He's fucking D.B. Cooper. (laughs) I, I understand what you mean, that there is just this sort of high dickish badassery to, to him in Avengers. Uh, yeah, there's just such like, an emotional character on display here. Yeah, I think that's the core difference. Is like, are you going for kind of like, this? the movie that made Hiddleston a, a star versus the one that's kind of like utilising a lot more of his like range yeah. as like your kind of pick for it. And I obviously guess. I'm a total mark for Avengers is, yeah. is my main issue. I, I lean to Loki, but I would be fine with leaving it as his work from Avengers. It is as a one, as a singular self-contained villain performance. It's that or it's it's Infinity War with uh, Brolin. It's probably Hiddleston, to be honest. The other thing is like, this is an ongoing TV show. We will discuss season two. And <laughs> I guess there's a debate of like, is, do we get another pick for season two? Or is it just yeah. a holistic? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. So, like, but I guess it's like, we can always give it to him again for season two <laughs> of this show. And just have Maybe. it be like, yeah, he's just like, just consistently really fucking good in Loki. I think Gugu is next up on the cast list. And she is. I, I love Gugu Mavaparor, as I said earlier. But like, probably the shortest shrift sure but like i think she she's nailing it because they're going for that like she's a tiny little woman and she's in charge of like like she is entirely in charge of loki's fate she orders people to their death there is that like hidden darkness like as mobius starts to unravel what's really going on there's so much tension in that office you know there's the reveal that she came up from being a hunter herself like she kicks his ass when she when he makes a move on her that she was the one that kidnapped sylvie she's so good and like that scene where like she's stalling for time for the backup to come she's just feeding sylvie a bunch of bullshit 
Really, really good. Yeah, I think she's one who I want to put a pen in. Like, she feels like Chiwetel Ejiofor in Doctor Strange, in that, like, you have her here because you want someone who's, like, a face that's going to do the work, but you're not going to give them the opportunity to do, like, what we know they can do until season two. And it's like, I mean, like, and we know how good she can be. Like, you think of stuff like Sanju DePero, the Black Mirror episode, where she is just Mm. a charisma machine. And then compare it to this, where, like, she's playing off Owen Wilson really well, she's playing off of Sophia really well, but, like, she isn't getting to own the shit yet and I feel like sure. season 2 is where she's going to get to do that yeah I mean like <laughs> Ravana Renslayer is like Kang's um, wife sometimes consensual love interest <laughs> let's put it that way kidnap victim wife anything in between you know she is hopelessly devoted to the TVA in this show and she goes off to find the man in charge at the end so it does seem they're heading towards that like power couple thing and I find it really fascinating that like her and Hunter B-15 and Mobius kind of Mobius was always the oddball is the thing but like her and, and uh, Hunter B-15 start off as just these agents of bureaucracy completely devoted to the TVA and when the truth comes out they go in completely opposite directions where for one of them it is a world shattering this is all wrong and for Ravana it's she doubles down on the dogma of like no one deserves freedom I'm off to find Captain fucking fascism himself <laughs> it's, it's nice I think she's set up for more yeah like that I think that's the exciting thing and then I think to, to talk about like Woodmi Musaku uh, Musaku and Sofia de Martino who are like dipping into a part of casting that Marvel hasn't really done yet which is just the British TV actress. Yeah. Because obviously both of them are like, they've been hanging around for years. Like mm. they've both done generic like UK soap operas, but like they also have like, I think Black Mirror episodes, End of the Fucking World, In the Flesh, Flowers, Casualty, Friday Night <laughs> Dinner. Like just all of these TV shows that like no one in the US is going to have heard of because they're just these, these tiny like Channel 4, BBC 3 things. But like they're all really good and get a chance to act. And now yeah. they've basically gone like, we're going to take them from slumming it out in this kind of thing and give them a big starring role in this show. And again, I think obviously Sophie DiMartino is like poised as the second lead of this show. Mm. Like, I mean, I was, I was talking to you about like, does it feel like the first episode of the show is kind of like a little bit of a pilot in that like, mm. I have to assume they haven't even cast her. In episode one, because I do that at the end of the first episode with the with Sylvie in the shadows, where they like set fire and like starts murdering or like killing all the TVA agents. Like it isn't her proportions at all. It's, no, it's but I just took that as a reason, as a way to like throw them off with the level of of control that Marvel have over this shit. They know what's happening in episode six when they're filming episode one. But maybe because you know, as you pointed out, like I think Eugene Cordero has a credit in every episode. He's in three. He's yeah, in one but and he, two. He speaks in two of them, and one of them only barely. Uh, he does speak in episode three. He has the one line when like the TVA agents in like the the rewritten timeline. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm saying I'm saying he speaks in two episodes, but he speaks oh, more yes. in this first episode than he does the others. Yes. And maybe this is a like there's some weird TV rules where if you're in the first episode, you get credits forever or whatever. But or like, he wasn't available or whatever, and maybe. like they just had to have like the character. The, the comedic side character be a regular for this thing like just a weird energy to it all and, and like episode one he may still be in it going forward like he, he's a hunter at the end of it somehow some way so like he, he may be planned for more 
He might be, but it's just it's just that very weird feeling in episode one where it's like, oh, this isn't on rewatch. It was like this isn't Sofia De Martino doing this stuff. Like you haven't no. cast her at this point almost. Have you just put like Tom Hiddleston or a stunt person Maybe. in this costume? It, uh, yeah, I mean we don't know what the inside production thing is, but like both of these actresses are like really good. Like Hunter B fifteen has like such a great authoritarian energy, <laughs> and I think like. Like, probably like my fourth favorite arc on the show is like her watching the shit going on around her and mm. kind of like coming to terms with the fact that like oh no we're the bad guys <laughs> and like yeah it's not like her and Mobius are friends but like they are Mobius is always the oddball but she is like kind of just examining the facts that are in front of her and doesn't like that she can't see Hunter C20 and Sasha Lane putting in a great basically two scene performance but hey two good scenes weird that you've got the story of one of the best movies of the 2010s someone who's like led tv shows and you're like yeah we'll just have it for two episodes like uh, i wonder how much of that is like a favor to someone or just no like idea. <laughs> or even down to the fact that like was this made in the middle of like did they film some of this stuff during the pandemic in 2020 and it was just like yeah i'll take a job on loki and do a couple of scenes before utopia sure as shit ain't coming back <laughs> B-15 so good, like, you know, she's so good at just, as this foil to Loki, just like, shut the fuck up, small boy, I will kick your ass. And then coming to that, like, realisation, and they have that beautiful scene where, you know, they return to, in the rain, and, and Sylvie is unlocking that memory, and we don't get to see it. Like, we saw her go into Sasha Lane's head, I really like how that was done, by the way, but, you know, we just see the reaction to it, and just sort of like, you know, I looked happy, and all that kind of thing. She's really good, but again, she's more off to the side than, I mean, she's less off to the side than, um... Renslayer is, but she's kind of like just outside that core trio. Yeah, I think we're both in agreement that like if anyone is the number two pick for the all Marvel performance, it's Tomatino as Sylvie. Yeah, she's so good. It's just Majors is even better. It's the problem. <laughs> it's very much like Elizabeth Olsen versus Catherine Hahn. You put in a really great shift. I'm sorry, just someone came in and put in a better one. But she's so good. Like you know, she's she's able to match wits from the get-go and like steal scenes as you said like she, I, she... I think she she elevates every single person that she is acting against in this yeah. and i think she's like one of the few characters who gets to act off like everyone on this show like she yeah. gets to do hiddleston and wilson and wisaku and mabatha raw and majors and yeah. so like she she has all these different modes and like hiddleston is the only other one who gets to do that and even then i think he doesn't get to do much with like gugu or or anything like that like he, no. he has very few scenes like in direct conversation with with Renslayer. but yeah. like there's like that entire moment in episode five when sylvia is like trying to get into the end of time or whatever and like <laughs> it is just the two of them she's got a lot of big moments i think my favorite tiny interaction is when Loki's got his plan, and she's like, nah, I'm going to enchant it. And then Owen Wilson just is like, she's pretty confident. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, yeah, she is. Like, she's the adult in the room, is her character a lot of the time. And so good, like, so able to do the sort of, like, savage put-downs and the sarcasm, but then she's also, she takes more naturally to the emotional stuff. But, like, she is more closed off than Loki is. And I think that is my favourite part of the character is that, like, yes, they are both Loki, but she is such a product of a different set of circumstances. Like, her entire character is defined by living life on the run, fueled by vengeance. She's a, she's a survivor. So she's a quick thinker, and she always acts so, so quickly. And I love that. And I love that they keep coming back to that. And in that final episode, like, they're both sitting there listening for 35 minutes. And then the exact second the deal is on the table, she, pow, 
counts. <laughs> so I, I just love that. And I, I think she nails that, that like she is this runaway. I love the scene which is just Loki and Sylvie kind of like under the blanket, like discussing <laughs> like what's gonna happen the next day. And like because it's funny, it's emotional and yeah. it's interesting. So I was talking to a friend yesterday literally about Loki and I was like, I I think Loki's the best thing that Marvel did last year. I think it's the most successful T V show yeah. that they've done so far. And her argument was like, I don't buy the relationship between Loki and Sylvie. And I can see it in terms yeah. of the fact that like the show kind of has to go from naught to sixty on it in episode three. It does. And it kind of also has to on Mobius and Loki becoming best friends in like two days. But, but, but you have but you have more time than that in that the entirety of episode one and episode two sure. are about like their sure. relationship and you get to have like all the traditional beats, whereas like literally Loki and Sylvie it's like enemies to lovers in a single episode where they meet at the end of two and yeah. by the start of episode four in like, literally the first five minutes is like they're gonna make out and you kind of have to go like they're so in love they almost broke the timeline <laughs> is it because they're huge narcissists yes. or is it because like I, I think it's like you know it's heightened circumstances they are each other so there's a certain degree of shorthand available there where like you know the narcissism and just sort of like they're knowing each other implicitly but I also think it's like I do understand that, like, I don't think they should have, like, said I love you to each other or anything like that. Like, it feels more natural as a kind of chaste, like, unrequited, unspoken thing where he can't put into words that he romantically loves her. But he's just like, I need you to be safe kind of thing. Mm. So I I could see, like, not buying it as a relationship. They don't necessarily have, like, physical chemistry yet. They sure do put them... By a lake, as meteors are falling out of the sky, though. <laughs> That's the kind of the biggest weakness of this show, is that they do have to rush the emotional beats of it. And like, I my only response to it was like, because the emotions feel true, I can kind of overlook the rushed aspect of them. Yep. Like, because Hiddleston and Dimatino have like such great chemistry. I can kind of like overlook the fact that they're really having to accelerate this and go through this arc in such a way. And and obviously it's helped by the fact that we've spent 10 years with Hiddleston at this point with this character. And it does kind of feel like, not that he's asexual, because obviously this show kind of like gets into like he's canonically bisexual, queer. They are gender fluid if you like want to go that way, obviously. But Loki is a he, him kind of like pronoun person. Like, so we are like, they're exploring that side of Loki. They don't do anything like especially interesting with it, especially because it's like no point do either of them actually showcase gender fluidity no. and at no point do either of them other than like little scenes where they like talk about falling in love with with members of the same sex yeah it's, it's a disney production so you, you can say it in a very roundabout way where well, we all know what you're saying but you're not explicitly saying oh yeah i fuck dudes there must have been a princess or a prince he's like a bit of both <laughs> I love that she, by the way, is like, oh, you know, when it's the end of the world, everyone's willing. So she's like an apocalyptic fuckboy, which... <laughs> it, it's a great performance. And again, it's like, we're now going to have to have, in a couple of minutes, a discussion between is it her or is it Olsen? I'll just um, say, I, I also think that, like, they do a good job of signposting these little moments. Like, when they get captured and they, they are brought back together, she immediately is like, are you okay? Um, mm. and, and stuff like that. And, you know... When she's talking about memories, has she ever had a good memory? And she's like, oh, one. And it's like, you know, we assume that to be her time with Loki, but it could be anything. But, like, you know, it, it's just got these nice little touches. And, like, I like it as, like, he's a scared little boy who doesn't quite know how to say how he feels. So he's so excited to see her, but he's like, well, I don't kiss her, do I? 
<laughs> we also don't know how old she is either, because obviously, yeah. like that's the whole thing is like they are Asgardian gods. Like they mm-hmm. they try to prune her when she is young, mm-hmm. and like we know how old Loki and and Thor are, and like how many thousand years have gone by, and it's like she been doing this for that long. <laughs> And like, how long did it take her to realize that she couldn't stay in any one timeline for like a long period of time well, and have to start hanging out in the apocalypse and stuff like that? Or... I mean, Asgardians do age just very slowly. Like there are there are is, old like, ass like, Asgardians. It's just like, yeah. like, thousands of years or like two thousand years or whatever of her having to do this. Yeah. Yeah. To, to stay ahead of the TVA or whatever like that's a, a long time to do it mm-hmm. and then it's Owen Wilson as Mobius and Mobius who <laughs> is it's so nice to see Wilson do this kind of thing because like he is someone who has been acting the entirety of the last 10 years and I feel like he has not done anything that's kind of like used him well. He's obviously shows up in game for whenever Wes Anderson does a movie. I don't particularly like his turn in Midnight in Paris, which I feel like is the last time he was kind of like in big awards conversations and whatnot. I think it's it's not a great movie, but like he is interesting. And everything else is just kind of like movies you've never heard of or like he's doing favors for like he's still in the Night the Museum movies. He's still in the Cars movies. And everything else is just whatever. They did the internship. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, like a, a lead role, but kind of like the last fits and starts of the Vince Vaughn and Owen Wilson as like actual bankable movie stars. Mm-hmm. And, and now we have this, where like again, like because he's been away for so long, he's got the grey hair. He looks amazing mm-hmm. uh, in this role. Like he looks so good. Yeah. And then obviously you followed up with Marry Me this year, which like is just like the kind <sighs> of movie that you really miss in terms of like. I know it looks cheesy as shit, but it's like you, you kind of miss the cheesy as shit like rom-coms and stuff like that, especially when it's just big charismatic stars doing this kind of like on the big screen. It's not going to win any awards, but it's like, this feels like something I'm happy for Owen Wilson to be doing better than Wonder or whatever. There was a real danger of him looking just incredibly lost, as I said earlier, and I, I think, I don't know if they screen tested or if they just offered him this part because he's Owen Wilson, but luckily he and Hiddleston have really, really great chemistry, and him as like this person that is just like bemused by Loki. I like how you use metaphors, it makes you sound clever. I am clever. Yeah, cool. Okay. <laughs> and then like they're just having a conversation goes, You're very clever. And it just wanders off. Interesting as a choice of like an authority figure because like that isn't the vibe you get from Owen Wilson. And I think no. that's what kind of like helps the acceleration of the the friend relationship between the two of them, which yeah. is like he is supposed to be an authoritarian, uh, not authoritarian, uh, an authority figure in the TVA, but like by he's, casting he's the odd Wilson, ball. <laughs> yeah, by casting Owen Wilson, you inherently get this sense of optimism, this sense of like I'm gonna try shit, I'm gonna try and do things differently to how we normally do things, yeah. which is why it kind of works when he's like. I'm putting my career on the line to save a variant mm. to try and track down another variant. And and just his, like, wearied kind of, like, I can't believe I'm putting up this bullshit with Loki where, like... In yeah, the... he's, like, disappointed in him every time he lies and he... <laughs> the bit in the circus tent in the Ren Fair, like or whatever and like he's like Loki's going around saying like oh she's good she's doing this and this and this and you need to give me this and then like Morbius is like are you done now like <laughs> I think my favorite thing is just he just and then what and wise him to death you see this with villains all the time it's like nobody has actually sat down and asked you okay what happens when you conquer the world like what is your plan for the world kind of thing and he just keeps going okay so what's your goal Okay, and then what? And then and why? Why do you want this? Why do you want that? And just basically making Loki actually be honest. And you do get to that point of, like, he's a scared little boy who's in the shadow of this giant of a brother and giant of a father-in-law and, and like, does have this bond with his mother who teaches him magic. And, like, you know, that has always been his weak point. And at this point in the timeline, canonically, he's, like, fronting like he hates Thor. 
and then you see those moments of like and, and Odin and then like you, when he sees himself and Thor with, with you know that I love you my son's moment even this version of Loki is that like means so much to him and yeah Mobius just prodding at him in that way getting him to just be straight up but then also finding him just sort of like such a nuisance <laughs> going to Pompeii which looks like shit by the way but you know, like, again, it's the Doctor Who vibe. It's like, <laughs> yeah, nowhere, nowhere where you film this is going to look like Pompeii. <laughs> like, just put up some like foam columns, and yeah. I'm sure it'll look fine. Yeah. Even, even down to like, I mean, uh, the Lamentis in Episode Three, where it's mm. like, oh, you just saw this in a giant fucking quarry, didn't you? Yeah. Like, that's what you did this bit. Yeah. Lamentis, a very good part of the uh, New Guardians of the Galaxy game, by the way. Like the same Lamentis? Well. I guess there's a planet in Marvel Comics called Lamentus, but yeah, you go there and there's a massive introspection and, and yeah. Anyway, uh, and like the salad scene where like, you know, uh, this salt is me like starting a fire and then he like pours a drink and he's like, why do you have to, why does it have to be my salad? <laughs> We're just bemused by him and then by the end of it they're just like this sort of like troublesome double act. It was like, oh, the boys are back kind of thing. <laughs> Could have been a complete disaster, but he nailed it. Yeah, big fan of like the entire cast decision of the show. Like again, wholly successful, good shit. Happy to see Marvel actually nail this. Yeah. It's brief. It's episodic. It's kind of everything that like I want from mm-hmm. a Marvel television show. Especially when it's like you compare it to even the Netflix era, where it's like if you guys were doing this like season arcs and stuff like that, I'd probably be a lot more into like what the Netflix shows were doing. But instead, it was the mandate of like thirteen hours, all mm-hmm. these episodes, and all the rest of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shout out to Tara Strong as Miss Minutes, a legend of voice acting. Made Miss Minutes really fun. First as this like annoying little little animated character, you know, narrator of the the well animated little infomercial, and then that you know the there's something more to her starts to creep in later on, and then like she goes full horror movie monster in the final episode. Richard E. Grant, you know, good. I personally think at times he was wandering into Anthony Hopkins levels of lost. But he did give you that sort of wistful, I regret everything. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm a big supporter of Richard E. Grant for the last few years. I think he's he's fantastic in uh, Can You Ever Forgive Me? Which is like, and then his entire campaign for winning an Oscar that season was like great. Big kind of like elder statesman, but like just kind of like having goofy fun energy to him. Yeah. Even if he isn't making like the best career decisions, I'm just always happy when he shows up and it's like, yeah. he's not good in Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. But like, <laughs> yeah. remote, but like when he's on the screen, it's like, oh yeah, hello, it's nice. It's nice to see Richard E. Grant. And here it, it feels like good casting. He's, mm. He obviously has no fucking clue what he's saying. Yeah. But like, he does bring a level of pathos to the monologue about yeah. like, I just hung out on an asteroid for thousands of years, yeah. and then the moment I decided to go try and find Thor, I got caught by the TVA. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a fantastic casting. Like before it even came out, it's like, yep, great, classic old old Loki or whatever. And and I guess they also leave the door open for like that could be where like maybe actual Loki did this. So that's a big long talk on the cast. I think it's still majors for each project we get a pick. I think it's him. Hiddleston's already on. We don't lose a pick if we pick him for this from Avengers, but you know maybe he stays on for Avengers. We have that spare floating around. Nobody from Falcon and Winter Soldier. Firstly, do you agree it's majors? For the I, oh, 100% agree it's majors. 100% okay. agree it's majors. And is, now it's just like. Is DiMartino better than Olsen, or do we wait to make this decision until later? <laughs> I kind of want to hold on to it until we get like a kind of pick same. And just get to both of them. Kind of same. Like, but also, like, we're not saving a pick next week. No, and I don't know when we're going to next get a spare pick. I think I know when it is. All right. And... Look, 
They tried very hard with that ensemble, okay? <laughs> uh, okay, right. I'm willing to say majors for now. DiMartino joins Olsen on the, like, we want you on the list. We're just going to see how some stuff plays out group, which I don't think there's going to be anyone of that level to join. No, next week is, like, slam dunk, easiest fucking oh, pick yeah. we're going to make this. Like, oh, oh, where's it going to be? Oh. <laughs> In theory, we're supposed to do Villain Watch. Again, who's the villain of this show? Is he who remains even a villain? Is he correct in what he was doing? We'll see when we get to yeah, the I mean, multiverse I mean, of madness. If he it, was... kind of le- it kind of leads on to the discussion of, like, the, the MCU has broken the multiverse, but, like, what was he even fucking protecting against? Like, is he saving Himself? the timeline? Or yeah. is he saving the multiverse? Like, has he ba- mm. by stopping the timeline changes... That well, this was my question. Like, are the timelines the same as the concept of a multiverse? Are they just saying every alternate timeline is another... Are Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire variants from other timelines, or are there both timelines and a multiverse? Like, I we will not know that until Doctor Strange. Like, because obviously they break time here. You know, the timeline starts to branch at will. But then also at the in the events of No Way Home, which we'll talk about way down the line, Strange does a big fucking spell that cracks reality. So who knows what led to what? But yeah, they're throwing <laughs> a lot of shit at the wall right now, and it's like we don't know whether or not this was a good or bad thing. You have to assume that like he is. I think that's the the interesting morally great thing the show is getting at though, and it's why it's it's the toughest one to do villains watch and probably the most exciting one. Where it's like I know there were people who were like I hate that Civil War makes everyone correct. <laughs> and I feel like this show is all about everyone is wrong. Yeah, kind of. And I think that's what makes it so interesting, which is like, I love the arc of like Renslayer basically being, she's so far deep in the world that she's like, I cannot function with the knowledge that mm-hmm. like maybe I've been submitting myself to like the bad thing. She's just too dogmatic at this point. Like, she can't come back off that edge. Yeah, and yeah. obviously Loki and Sylvie are like mass yeah. murderers who like kill people <laughs> just to kind of like get what they want to do. Yeah, like and... he remains yells at Sylvie even calls her a hypocrite when she's like yeah you're killing people it's like um who the fuck are you (laughs) but then he who remains is like he's basically submitting billions of people to death by a liar yep (laughs) the most genocidal murderer of all time yeah he's killing timelines he's killing things from the potential happening but then you're like is it good though because he's also stopping variants of himself who are actually evil and like probably like get joy from like murdering people and stuff like that yeah and i think that's where the timeline versus multiverse thing comes into effect because ostensibly the tva are stopping timelines from branching before they can actually branch it's not like variant loki lived a really really long alternate life it's like no we're gonna nip that in the bud before you do that but it's still fucked up. I think he's fantastic. You know, you can make an argument that TVA as a general entity, which he's sort of attached to, are the villain. And and very explicitly will be in season two, based yeah. on the, the, the credit stinger. Yeah. And, like, I would put this in the upper echelon, but it's not that kind of, like, slam dunk villain that you get I from think, Loki, yeah, Thanos, it, Vulture, Killmonger. Yeah, yeah. Because, it's, because it's nebulous about who is the villain on the show, and the show isn't really interested in having villains, it's like, we kind of got to wait for Quantumania to, right. to, to make I, a decision. I think it's like right now they sit in the middle with the potential to go to the top, but we have to see how it plays out in season two, in Quantumania, in potentially Fantastic Four, like, who knows? So, a weird one, but good in the handling of villains and like kind of dispensing with the idea that there has to even be one. This is just, these are just some people who have conflict with each other. Yeah. Um, we have talked a lot 
I could talk probably this long again. It's so good, but we must stop. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I think it's just as a, as a pin on this, this was the most excited and invested I was in the MCU yeah. in 2021. Like, I mean, obviously there was a level of like, what the fuck is going on with No, no Way Home? Mm-hmm. But as a like a finished product, this is like the one that was the most compelling, the one that felt like the most kind of fought through, and it's the one that I'm also kind of like, I'm hoping there is enough here for a season two but i'm also kind of like a little bit worried in terms of the fact that like neither kate heron nor michael waldron are coming back mm. and eric martin who co-wrote episode six and also was the lead writer on episode four which is your favorite is mm-hmm. the is the showrunner for next year okay. they've got the moon knight directors two of the moon Knight directors oh, two of them yeah yeah i don't know oh, they're, they're, they're a duo i think and they both directed episode two and episode four i've not seen the first episode of moon knight yet because that only dropped on wednesday but like they're obviously pulling more from a well but like from what i don't know if they're as exciting as kate heron who feels like no. she is someone with like a sense of style yeah. that very much fit this show and like a and, uniformity of vision yeah and yeah. when you when i think moon knight i don't instantly think multiversal time time based fun time it's got some vibes but there's also not to spoil it for you probably the worst action scene they've ever done okay or maybe not the worst but like it is kind of the culmination of those second unit badly done action scenes and it just it really stinks up that first episode which has some really cool vibey stuff going on throughout the rest of it it's not enough to sink my excitement for loki season two because i think yeah. the, the groundwork is there the cast is obviously fantastic yeah. and feige is basically like willing everything to be like a like a gentleman six essentially <laughs> like like you get things that like raise above that but like for the most part they're like we will make this watchable you'll have a fun time yeah and i'm like okay i'm not super worried but like i would be so much on board if it this felt like this was like fully owned by waldron and and heron i feel like it's like right you will always have a fun time one in every five times you'll see something that you're like i want to watch this every year for the rest of my life (laughs) it's like okay i'll take that i don't know if they achieved that in 2021 but hey right speaking of which from one character who died and then immediately got a solo project to another next week we dispense with tv and we talk about black widow the most cursed marvel production of them all i don't know what you mean like there's no i mean no no behind the scenes gossip on this show it's not like the lead actress sued the company that made the movie the weeks after the movie came out came out when they wanted it to one press cycle one poster one date one trailer and we'll talk about it next week with Black Widow. Uh, and I'm so excited to finally introduce Ray Winston to our All Marvel list. <laughs> oh, goodness. That's for next time. Thank you, Ben, for your time. And as always, Excelsior. <laughs> yes, always. As always. We've always said it. Men throwing the nonsense of Austin's dancer. And I sing, I sing, come here. Men throwing the nonsense of Austin's dancer. When you sing, she sings, come home. When you sing, she sings, come home. Just